Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Thank you for joining us this morning. Our guest today is Jim Fotis, who's the president of the Police Defense Coalition. Can you hear me, Jim? Yes, I can. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about you before we get into what you do. Um, uh, I was a police officer on the New York Police Department, Lindbrook Police, a small police department just outside the city. I was there for 14 years, and when I left there, I came to Washington, and I started a group called the Law Enforcement Alliance of America, which I ran for 23 years. And after leaving there, uh, I had thought about police officers, and uh, it was around 2015, and... uh, I got another couple of people. We put a little money together and we started the National Center for Police Defense because we knew there were police officers out there that were being attacked. There was a war on cops at the time. It was just starting up. And we knew police officers were basically being assaulted not only by the outside criminals, but also by the system. And we knew they needed help. They needed money, they needed protection, and that's how the National Center for Police Defense got started, and part of that was the Police Officer Defense Coalition. So now we're sitting here and we're defending right now 16 police officers across the United States. Are you able to talk about any of them, or is it, you know... I can talk about the ones that we've had uh, that have been successful. We've had a couple that have not obviously uh, not been successful, but uh, I can tell you what we do, how we protect them, how we raise money, and uh, how we're hoping to move forward in the future. And uh, we've had cases in New York. Uh, One was a Sergeant Barry case. He was uh, a sergeant in charge of a EMT group, and uh, he was called to assist uh, in a very high crime area, a uh, person who was psychologically disabled. He had gotten there. She was ready to attack the people that were there to help her, the police officers and the EMTs. And he went in, he talked around of attacking them with the scissors, and as she came out of the room she was in. She picked up a baseball bat, went to attack them, and following all the procedures, he shot her. And uh, obviously she died immediately. Not only the mayor, but the police chief of New York, uh, Mayor de Blasio, they both came out, immediately called it a murder, and he was arrested, taken into custody, and a massive uh, trial ensued, and we immediately 
called the Sergeants Benevolent Association because we work with the groups that represent these police officers and told them that we'd like to help. And uh, they, of course, have their own attorneys, and they happen to have very good attorneys working for their association. And we work with them all the way through, help them not only media-wise, but uh, Sergeant Barry did not need financial assistance, uh, so we did not help him there. But with some of our cases, the police officers immediately, as soon as they're charged with a felony, are suspended from duty, so they do need financial assistance. And after he went to trial, they actually brought in the training manual. He followed everything step by step. He should have never have been charged. He was acquitted, back on the job. But, of course, the problem is the residual effect of all these cases. He will never probably get promoted. He'll wind up being a sergeant for the rest of his time on the job. And uh, he was one of the high hopes. He probably would have wound up in the commissioner's office. He would have been there. But after being charged with murder, being accused of it by the mayor, now he'll just do his job and wind up leaving. And this is what happens to so many police across the country. And on the other side, we've just had regular police officers, Rockville Center Police in New York, charged with assault, immediately again suspended. And we have, we did help him right away, not only financially through the whole case. He, again, he had an excellent attorney in Nassau County uh, named uh, William Petrillo, and he brought the case to court, showed every aspect of it that the police officer followed exactly how he was trained. And this is how we choose our cases. And uh, he was also acquitted. And uh, the not only the not only was he sued, but the municipality was sued. And uh, all of the civil suits were actually thrown out because the case was so uh, horribly uh, put together by the uh, attorney that was. And and the uh, DAs were just so bad. They brought the case horribly to court, and they couldn't even justify the case. So this is what's going on in the country. Right now we have a district attorney in Austin, Texas, that has 17 cases. Every single case uh, with police officers involved, and I hate to say it, especially in white and black incidents, he brings it to the grand jury, closed grand jury, no cameras, no recording, and an indictment comes out. So he's got 17 indictments right now, and we're assisting the attorneys with six of them. One was just thrown out because they did not have sufficient evidence, uh, so that case was thrown out. But we have still have six, and we're also working with that attorney on the Perry case, which is the case where the uh, U.S. Uh, Army sergeant uh, shot the Antifa 
protester that was holding an AK-47 and was pointing at him uh, with his family in the car. So as we go forward, these cases are going to be more and more. Uh, we're working on legislation to help protect police officers uh, against ambush, against uh, unneeded uh, civil cases that should never have been brought. And uh, there's a, just so much going on. Uh, I, I can't tell you, Sherry, we're, we're up to our neck and trying to move forward uh, we do not take anything from our 501c3 National Center for Police Defense. We don't get paid. And for the first, first five years, we never ever paid anybody that worked for us. And now there's just a couple of people that are getting a salary. So is it a membership thing? How does, how does your organization work? Do people... It's actually, actually not a membership. It's a, it's a supporting setup. Uh, if you... Uh, mail, you can, we raise money by direct mail through letters, which is very expensive. Uh, small amount of money comes back sometimes between anywhere from 10 to 20% on direct mail. Uh, people don't realize how expensive, uh, fundraising is. Uh, other ways of raising money, we do texting, we do emailing, and a little bit more money comes back to that. And then we have people who are just supporters that send directly to our office, which is at 105 to 1 Judicial Drive in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, that money goes directly to us. And we have a lot of supporters that mail directly to us. We get 100% of the money. And that money goes directly into the police fund. Nobody gets anything except the police that need it. And uh, we take 100% care of them. As I say, we not only use the money for defense, but there are so many police officers and if you're a police officer, you know how devastated it is to be charged with a crime. Yeah. It devastates not only you, it devastates your family, it devastates your department. And when it's over, even if you're acquitted, you have to come back from it. And it's extremely difficult. So we, we, have, a, we have a peer counseling group. We try to assist with attorneys. We try to... If you need money for a mortgage payment, if you're short of cash, if you can't get a job, we will help you all the way through. We have two individuals right now, uh, Brandon Dingman and Josh Turner in uh, Wilson, Oklahoma, small department, four men. Two years ago, then, uh, on a July 4th evening, they were called on a call and uh, turned into a fight. The person was so big that they couldn't get cuffs on him. Uh, assistance came after they had tased him. We later found out that the tasing didn't work because he kept on falling and snapping out the contacts. And this additional person came and put a chokehold on him. And after that, they did get him cuffed got him into uh, to the hospital. They immediately started to do CPR, did everything correctly. 
and he passed away after four days. He was invest. They were investigated by the state police. They were investigated by the uh, city they worked for. They were investigated by the sheriff's department, and the DA told them everything's fine. You're clear. A year later, what happens is they're charged with manslaughter. So they have no union, no representation, no money. Uh, however, they got our name. They called us, so we are helping them. I also got them a an attorney, and it looks like uh, they've found that in the case. And while they were going through it, there's some corruption. The case may wind up being thrown out, uh, but we have supported them all the way from the beginning, not only for defense, but also helping them live. One uh, one of them has a little girl with a hole in her heart, so we've been helping him. And just, just a case that you would never hear uh, in the papers, but a case that, you know, pulls at your heartstrings. And, you know, both of them told me they were making fifteen seventy an hour. And they said, you know, if we get over this, we'd go back. We'd work for nothing. That's how dedicated these people are. I don't think people realize just how dedicated law enforcement is to protecting the community. And when you hear things like this happen, you know, like some obnoxious award, you know, given to a felon, a drug addict, who, you know, is out there trying to harm not just people in the community, but, you know, law enforcement. And then he's given, uh, you know, a $27 million award. I mean, just like... Exactly. Floored. Absolutely floored. Exactly. And we were involved in in the Chauvin case. And, you know, the the circumstances with that. and, And at first, we were actually only going to help the uh, the young cops that were on. But after we got all the details and we saw all the ME reports and that there was actually no damage that was done by Derek Chauvin, uh, the kneeling, you know, it looked bad. It was a video. And, you know, everybody can take a video today. And Derek, actually, they had trained in that academy to kneel on the person. Wow, and under the and it's in the it's in the books. It's in everything that they had there. We were actually there for the trial, and it was a kangaroo court. You know, nobody goes through this information and comes up with three guilty counts on these charges in ten hours. It's it's unheard of. Uh, the fact is that. Uh, they were they they had actually gone to the to the county sheriff prior black lives matter and antifa and told them you know if they don't get the decision that they want at court they're going to burn the rest of the city to the ground and they used fear tactics uh i don't know what was wrong with the judge but it was just a horror and uh i don't think that he listened but there were four different uh Emmy reports, and the first one, he was almost coerced by the attorney general, who is, whose name is Ellison. He has been 
uh, a congressman in the past, uh, uh, how he won to be attorney general in Minnesota. I have no idea. People have to actually take part in their elections and watch who becomes especially positions like attorney general. Keith Ellison should have never been attorney general. He wants this case, wants all of these men to be charged. And the one officer never even got involved. All he did was keep the people away from what was going on. He directed traffic and, uh, and you can't can't believe what went on that day. And uh, and George Floyd was already saying that he couldn't breathe before they even got him to the ground. Before they got him out of the car, he was he was already on the verge of dying. He had four times the amount of lethal fentanyl in his body, and every one of these MEs said he probably would have passed away from that before he even got into this altercation. So, and and this isn't over. This is going to uh, keep going. We're going to continue to help them, and we're going to fight to ha- hopefully have this verdict changed. How do you feel about the media and the way they covered not just that case, but several of the cases that in the last several years where they'll... A law enforcement officer is involved with something, and instead of showing everybody, this is my opinion, instead of showing the or telling the whole picture, they just go after law enforcement. I know they went after uh, Derek Chavez and, you know, his past employment file, but they never went on to George Floyd in his very lengthy in and out of prison record in some of the things that he had done, they never showed until the final arguments that I saw, and I didn't get to watch everything, so this might be inaccurate, but I, they never showed the mouthful of pills on the news prior to the to the trial. They never showed the video of what led up to him being on the ground prior to the trial. They just went after law enforcement. Of course, it, you're 100% correct, and... In fact, the day, if you remember, in uh, Brooklyn, when we were actually still there for the George Floyd case, when the officer wound up accidentally thinking that she was pulling her laser and shot the gentleman in the car. Yes. they didn't show anything that transpired after that. All they basically chastised her in the media. You know, she shot an innocent man. She, they didn't say anything about why they were there and what he had done. They were there on a criminal warrant for him having a gun and the anticipation of him continuing to have a gun. They had taken him out of the car and when she got there, she was the training officer. She was in charge of the scene. And as they went to arrest him, he dove back into the car. And I don't usually have your taser on your weak side. 
I believe there they had the taser and the firearm on their strong side, and she thought she was grabbing her gun. She grabbed her. She thought she was grabbing her taser. She grabbed her gun and fired, and obviously killed him. And all they did was chastise her. Never said a word about what transpired. After the shooting, she was so upset she basically went and sat on a curb and wanted to kill herself. She was extra. Nobody said a word about her. Nobody said that, you know, she was a 20, more than a 25 year veteran of the force. She had been there, had a incredible record, but they chastised this poor police officer for what she had done. Look, she it, it hurt her more that she had done this than, than anybody else. Now they just charge her with a second charge. Uh, so they're charging her with both murder and manslaughter now. And it's going to be the same thing as with Chauvin. They're going to go after her. We're going to support her as best we can. There is an incredible group there that supports all these police officers. It's called the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association. And they will support her uh, along with all the other officers. Um, but it it's just unbelievable how the media continues to go, even with the defunding police. You know, if you remember just two days ago, the new uh, woke person that's running for the district attorney's office in Seattle. He wants to do away with police and do away with, or she wants to do away with police and do away with all the prisons in Seattle. How can the reporters even get behind this kind of stuff? They don't say what the police have done. They don't say what a good job they've done, especially handling what transpired in Seattle last year. And I have no idea. There hasn't been much about Seattle up until now, but the beginning of this year. And let this person come in and say he wants to do away with the police department and do away with the jails. How can how could we live like that? No, you can't. And in some of the areas where they have defunded or taken money away from law enforcement, crime has risen. It's getting worse. So how's that working out for you? Exactly. Look at the worst areas in New York where they stopped, stop and frisk and uh, the street crimes unit. The people in those areas are begging for the mayor to restart those because they actually stopped crime. It was an experiment that worked. It worked great. It helped the communities. And now you've got children getting killed in the street. You've got so many things going on. And it's not, it's the people in the depressed areas that really need the law enforcement, need law enforcement. And yet you continually, every time something happens, it's law enforcement that did it. Law enforcement are the wrong, in the wrong. You don't hear all of the things that law enforcement do for the community. You, every once in a while, you'll see something good that the law enforcement does, but most of the time, it's law enforcement in the wrong. Yeah, that's what they'd like to say, but I, I don't believe law enforcement is the enemy. 
And I think if if we really take a closer look at some of the situations that have happened that have gotten a lot of publicity, we'll find out that drugs, alcohol, uh, felony warrants, illegal firearms, they're all part of the scenario. And we need to really look at what the problem is instead of law enforcement. Law enforcement's not the problem. It's the people who are breaking the law. That's the problem. Exactly. If you if you look at the Kentucky case where uh, they had the no, no-knock warrant and went in, they were shot at, they returned fire, the female was killed, and then you never got, you know, cops were wrong right away. They were the ones that started it. They used it on now, all of a sudden, across the country, you can't use no-knock warrants. We know that that's part of law enforcement, especially part of the, uh, you know, drug enforcement that you really need. And yet, all of these police departments are saying, oh, no more no-knock warrants. No, you know, how can we do our job? When everybody, you know, one incident happens and then everybody says, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. All the things that help get taken away. And, uh, you know, they, they actually want to put cops on the street doing traffic stops without guns. Most absurd thing that I've ever heard of, you know, and, and let them put psychologists out there doing traffic stops. I'd like to see that. Yeah, and social workers. I heard social workers were supposed to respond to some of these domestic uh, disturbance and, you know, people held hostage type situations. You're going to have a social worker out there? Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the first one that gets hurt, then, you know, and then they'll turn around and sue the city or the municipality. Then all of a sudden, you know, they want police back. And, of course, Minneapolis still wants to do away with their police department. I do believe that uh, they did take a vote again to defund their police. And, uh, hey, I've been to Minneapolis. If they defund their police, that city is just is truly going to be gone. And the ironic thing about Minneapolis is all of these businesses owned by minorities that have taken years and years for these people to build up they're not going to get their insurance. They're not going to be able to rebuild their businesses. And they're just going to be out. And all of the rioters, they don't care. And it, it's just a shame. And uh, over and over again, people are saying to me now, well, how come police aren't responding You know, to calls? A lot of places, they're not responding because... They're afraid that they're going to wind up being sued if they do something wrong now. Or if they the do something that, I, that other people perceive as wrong. Exactly. And that takes us to qualified immunity. We, uh, our group, and we, we have another, uh, the, the Police Officers Defense Coalition, we, we're writing legislation uh on qualified immunity, uh, there is one at the federal level, but right now it's probably not going to get passed by Representative Banks out of Ohio, which is a good bill. Uh, we're writing a piece of legislation, and it'll actually be done next week, and we're going to try and get it out to all of the states. It's going to be 
a comprehensive piece of legislation on qualified immunity. It will allow the states to modify it, but it'll give them a basis. And the big thing about qualified immunity is it's never been codified. It's just based on a court case that had transpired, and uh, it protects not only police officers, but most people don't realize that it protects uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, anybody who works in a field where you deal with people. So it protects you against somebody suing you for, you know, ridiculous things that, you know, if you look at them the wrong way, if you do something that they don't like, they could turn around and sue you. So if we did away with qualified immunity, you would be sued for the minor things it would clog up the court. It would be... There's a lot of that going on. Really, really, really bad. I mean, the only thing that this legislation that we're putting together would do, it would allow you to be sued for gross misconduct. Like, uh, you know, if you had somebody on the ground and uh, they were already disabled and you continued to tase them and kick them and do all of that, that might be considered gross misconduct, but you always, you can never, ever take away the right to due process from police officers, and that's what we want to make sure. And the other piece of legislation that we're trying to do is, since all of these cases have started, we found that years ago, if you were sued civilly, the civil case would take place after you were after you were either convicted or acquitted of the uh, criminal case. What's happening now is as soon as you're charged, and as we saw with the George Floyd trial, his family was awarded $27 million right before the criminal case, which, of course, leads you to believe, oh, he's, he's guilty, guilty because, look, yeah. Yeah. So we and, are trying to have a um, go on. I'm sorry. Where where does tort law um, enter into that? Because as a paralegal, I had to study tort law, and you know, there's a value to everybody part. And I don't understand where 27 million. I've I've seen some people in some really horrific situations. You know, family members who are who who died by horrible accidents. But I don't know anybody who is awarded twenty-seven million dollars, much less a drug addict. I mean, you know, yeah, you 20. go by the value of the person, what they bring to the community, their job, how old they are. I mean, there's there are there's kind of a metric system to what people get awarded. Where did they come up with twenty-seven million dollars? Right. You know, it's it's and then. They get $27 million through intimidation that we're going to burn the city down. You know, that's the $27 million. Plus, the family got $20 million from GoFundMe. Wow. So it's just ludicrous that that, that happened. And these, these civil lawsuits have gone wild. And... Uh, you know, you're under so much stress already. You're being charged with a crime for doing, you know, 
believing that you did the job you were hired to do and doing it in a matter you were trained to do it. And now you're being charged with the crime for doing it. And then all of a sudden, bang, you have a civil lawsuit for, you know, $10 million, $40 million, who knows for what. So you've got to deal with that at the same time, which takes additional legal, you need additional lawyers, different lawyers, and and it's before your uh, criminal trial. So we're trying to have a piece of legislation passed that would actually stop civil lawsuits until after your criminal trial was completed. Look, it may never pass, but when I wrote uh, H.R. 218, uh, which is now called the Police Officer Protection Act, uh, allowing police officers to carry their firearms anywhere in the United States or any territory of the United States, active and retired. Nobody ever believed it would pass. Now we're allowed to carry our firearms anywhere in the United States. So it took me 10 years to get that passed. So if it takes 10 years to get this passed, hopefully we'll get that passed. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. This is Amy, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. An energy drink for breakfast will not prepare you for a day-long hike. Bring food, water, appropriate clothing, and a fully charged cell phone, especially a fully charged cell phone. Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and you. 1030 in police code means excessive use or unauthorized use of the radio, something we do with each podcast posted to iTunes and Google Play. Hi, this is Rich Tracy inviting you to join our conversation and asking you to support our mission. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to contribute. No amount is too small. On the 16th of October, at the Steampump Ranch Farmer's Market in Oral Valley, the Oral Valley Police Department, Mercy Care, and Law Matters are hosting an anti-sex and human trafficking awareness event between 8 a.m. and noon. From 8 to 10, Law Matters will be on-site broadcasting a special two-hour live show. About 25 partnering agencies will be on-site as well. So come join us. There will be a lot to do and learn. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. Hi, this is Sherry asking you to tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels brings us up to date on border issues and more. Don't be left out. Get your questions ready to call in at 790-2040. 
We can't do these shows without your help. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to support our mission. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, reminding you that infants and toddlers do not experience heat as adults do. Consider this when bringing your young ones on a hike in temperatures of over 80 degrees. You do not want to risk that child having heat stroke or being arrested for child endangerment. Thank you for staying with us. Our guest today is Jim Fotis. He's the president of the National Police Defense Coalition. And we've been talking about what's going on lately with uh, law enforcement. Let me ask you something, Jim. Have you ever uh, helped defend somebody that maybe you thought was guilty of something? Actually, we've really tried hard to not defend. As I said, Derek Chauvin, in the beginning, we did not want to take the case, and we didn't take the case. And as time went on, and we saw more and more, and then spoke to the Minnesota uh, Police and Peace Officers Association, learned more about that case. We decided that he was definitely not guilty and did follow what he had been trained to do. That was probably the only one that we felt in the beginning was possibly guilty. No, every other one we took, we felt was definitely uh, innocent and did the right thing. Yeah, it's. I was pretty appalled when I happened to be home and saw some of the events that led up to... Um, George Floyd being on the ground, and none of that had been in the news prior to. So it was like, good grief. I mean, you know, talk about misinforming the public. And just, you know, it yeah. seemed like everybody had an agenda. And and then, you know, as I, I watch, you know, these news channels, you know, calling Chauvin a murderer and and continually and and after everything that's come out, I, you know, I understand he was convicted, but the fact is there's still going to be more information. And if you, if somebody, if any of these reporters would just look at the information, they would realize that he's not guilty. I mean, when we went there, we said possibly he'd be convicted of uh, manslaughter three, but, to get convicted of all of those charges was absurd. And uh, if you remember, and I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. There was a shooting incident where one of the police officers shot through the window of the, he was a passenger shot through the window of the driver's side of the police officers over the, his partner who was driving shot a woman who was, uh, Walking towards the car, there was an incident called in. Oh, I remember that. He, yes, he was charged with murder three, and he was charged with uh, manslaughter third degree. And he went. To, he was, in fact, the first Muslim police officer ever hired by the Minneapolis Police Department. While his charges were just changed, and he's going to have to be retried. A higher court said he wasn't guilty now we did not take that case and we now that i listened to all of the information about it i said 
you know, you look at something on the surface and you say, yeah, really doesn't look like something we want. But as I listened to what transpired that night, I said, this guy really had a good defense. What he said was very logical. And I understand why the court is going to let him go back in and replete his case because he actually thought that somebody was going to kill his partner when he shot. You know, you never ever shoot through a car out the other window, but he had a good good defense, a good story, and he's going to be retried. So we'll see what happens. And uh, but that was a case we we felt just from the the newspapers and and what we read. We didn't actually speak to anybody there that he probably did the wrong thing, and uh, and we didn't take that case. And now I kind of say. Maybe we should have looked further. And we just have have so many cases coming in now that we can't keep up with them. And if you remember the case in uh, Fort Worth with Aaron Dean, where he went and um, there was a call for a uh, open door, possible burglary, very high crime area. Two police officers uh, had responded, and when he got there, he walked around to the, I can't give a lot of details on this case, but he walked around the house and to a window, and he saw a figure in that window who uh, looked like they were going to lift the gun and he shot one shot through the window and killed the person. It turned out to be a person who had license and privilege to be in that house and uh, was killed. And he, again, the mayor, the police chief immediately called murder, no information. And Aaron immediately quit the police force before anybody could interview him. Uh, Aaron is a great guy. As soon as this trial is over, I believe he will be acquitted, victim of severe circumstances, Uh, always wanted to be a police officer. Uh, Just a horrible, horrible incident. And uh, as we get into that trial, which should be probably it probably won't be until next year um his he they were two rookie cops riding together less than a year his partner who was a female has had uh in her 20s has had a um a stroke since the incident that's how upsetting it was to her. And nobody, you never hear about these things happening. Uh, it just, it it, it it makes me feel like, you know, you know it, when you get really upset, your stomach starts to turn. That's what these incidents do to me. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy to hear some of these stories either because they're out there doing their job. Their job is not easy. And what I and we had this situation with uh, border patrol down here. People would be out front of their office on 
down there in Swan and they'd be protesting and, and accusing, but none of them have ever walked a mile in those moccasins. They don't know what it's like to be law enforcement. And, you know, it's just a job where people are very dedicated to what they do. They're concerned about the safety of their community and they're doing the right thing. And you're talking about going some of these areas that are are high crime areas. You have to be on your toes. You don't know what these people are going to do, and especially if they're on drugs. It's just insane. Exactly. Exactly. And and you, you these almost every police officer that I've met, I'd say, and there have been studies done. I'd say ninety. You know, they believe in what they do. They wanted to be police officers all their life. This is what they chose. You know, most police in the United States make probably their base pay is under $60,000. They don't make a lot of money. They go out there, risk their life every day. They do their job. And they want to be doing it. They want. They love their job. They want to help people. And they believe in society. And it's getting really hard to believe in society anymore. And uh, But these people want to do it. And they're still doing it. I mean, look at New York City. Even with everything they've done, defunding, cutting out, cutting stuff down, cutting, you know, diminishing their qualified immunity and those police officers are still out there, even though a lot, and that's what's happening. So many are leaving the job. So many of the police officers that have been there for a long time are leaving. If they can get their retirement, they're leaving. And there are not many that are going back or applying for the jobs. Uh, I think hiring is down 40 to 40 Five percent people applying for police positions, and we need them, and we need good applicants. I remember when I was in D.C. and Mayor Barry was in there; they were running massive drug operations out of the police department and out of the D.C. jail because he was hiring people that got forties on the exams. Wow! This is not what we want. We want good, clean, smart law enforcement officers that want the job and want and and are very honest and that's what most PDs have. Yeah, I don't know any agency here that isn't hiring. Not a one of them. They're all they're all looking for people qualified af- applicants and they're hard to come by. And especially with they the attitude have. towards law enforcement. I heard a a newsman while he was describing somebody being arrested refer to the officer as racist. The racist officer arrested that man. I'm like, holy cow. Talk about insinuating your opinion. Whatever happened to just report what happened and leave the black and white out of it, leave your opinion out of it, leave your agenda out of it, just say what happened. Those days are I gone. agree. I agree. And uh, But that's not the news today. There are very few true reporters that have no agenda. It seems like most of these reporters have an agenda. And... uh, They're stirring the pot. Yes, yes. And that makes it so much worse. And we need the, I guess, 
you know, nonpartisan reporters that will go out there and tell the story the way it is, not the way they want it to be. And uh, and that's what law enforcement needs. They need to be their heroes. And everyone, law enforcement, fire, our military, they're heroes. They go out there, they do their job, and they don't know whether they're going to return home that night. And uh, and that's the way these stories have to be written. And so many, every morning I wake up and somebody somewhere across the nation has been either shot and severely injured, injured or killed. And that's not what I want to hear. It, it's, it's just a horror. I, I've always, and I've thought this before I came to Arizona, I've always thought that sheriffs have to be elected into office, but instead of mm-hmm. picking, you know, Democrat or Republican, they should all run as independents so we can leave the politics out of it. I agree with you. I agree with you. They should, uh, and the same with the court system. Uh, one of the biggest problems, obviously, today is how can you have a nonpartisan court if you're running Democrats and Republicans for your court system? Right. And if you don't have a court system that actually wants to keep criminals in jail, you can't be giving people a slap on a hand. We've got new woke DAs, as you know, in L.A., the one who just let the uh, cop killer out of jail, even though they had a big drive to, to keep him in, but he still let the cop killer out of jail. And in San Francisco, the same thing. We've got to make sure that... Anybody we elect to office that's going to be working in the law enforcement legal system are not partisan and ready to make sure that they enforce the law. I believe that the new DA in San Francisco said that he is not going to prosecute any uh, theft for under a thousand dollars, so you can walk into a store and take a thousand dollars worth of merchandise and, and walk out. And he's not going to pro- prosecute rape, assaults, anything like that until you get up to where they're more than felonies. And now I never heard of rape not being a felony, but I don't know how you can say you're not going to prosecute it. So I, I can't believe sometimes what I hear. Yeah. I've heard that they're trying to decriminalize prostitution. And I, you know, I'm going, okay, how does that work hand in hand when we've got pimps doing what they're doing, sex trafficking these women in human trafficking, and now you're going to decriminalize that? How is that going to stand up in court? How are you going to be able to hold these people accountable for what they've done? Exactly. And you've got, what, 350,000 women and young women in Mexico that are disappearing every year in sex trafficking, going all, being taken all over the world. I don't know what the numbers, I'm sure we I could get them from Homeland Security in the United States are, but sex trafficking is one of the biggest uh, crises in the world today. And, you know, we're not recognizing it. My uh, partner in uh, and CPD. His wife works for uh, 
Homeland Security, and she works on sex trafficking and child pornography. And it's just amazing all of the uh, child pornography that's going on, too. And they want to decriminalize that. You're kidding. No, I'm not. And they have actually, apparently, in California, decriminalized certain kinds of child pornography. So that's very scary. The world's gone nuts. <laughs> that's all I can think is the world's gone nuts. And we do, we have, um, we try to get the word out. We try to hold events like we are on the 16th of October to educate people, parents, and youth alike about what's going on and what to watch out for, what to be careful of. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be sex trafficked or abused in any way. And how do there's resources, if you do find yourself in a situation, that will help you get out of that situation. And we try to really hard to get everybody to listen. And it seems like people aren't listening. It's, you know, I've got a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old. And I have a 22-year-old that just got out of the Army, a 22-year-old son. But my 17-year-old daughter and my 19 I tell them over and over again, don't put yourself in a situation where something can happen to you. You know, stay in a group. Don't separate yourself. And don't Anybody take pills from your you friends. Anywhere. And don't take pills. You know, watch all of these things. But they're kind of just you know they're they're in their own world they listen yes dad yes daddy you know yes but i know that they're not there you know yeah they, they don't see how serious it is it's an it can't happen to me attitude i think that's always been it i used to do little talks and when i lived in the dc area to, for runners women that run and wear headphones and all of that and uh Yes, 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 but you can still see them out there doing the same thing. Yeah, you can't be aware of your surroundings if you're walking around with headphones on. And, you know, in driving, too, you see people, they're not aware of their surroundings. I want to thank you for coming on the show. How can people get in touch with you? How can, and do you work with local organizations? We work with local organizations. We also, uh, refer you know we work with the fop we work with uh with any organizations that help police officers but our office is in virginia national center for police defense police officers defense coalition at one five one zero five two one judicial drive suite 200 fairfax virginia two two zero three zero my personal phone number is Nine two four to nine two four six one four forty two hundred. Anybody can call me, and you can go to the National Center for Police Defense dot com website and get in touch with us. Always willing to hear from anybody, and always willing to take donations. Thank, thank you so thank, much, Sherry. Thank you, and have a nice weekend. Shop local and stay safe. <laughs>